Well, good morning again. I am super excited to uh, to spend the next three years. Well, three plus. Four years. Four years. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. 20 years, 30, right? Um, yeah, right. That's true. But um, I, it is a celebration for me, too, uh, especially on Father's Day. I feel like it's a gift. That's what Kim was saying, too. So thank you for that. Um, I am not going to start with a question. I'm going to read. Well, that's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie. Uh, I do have a question I want you to consider. And then as I'm reading, you can focus a little bit more. Because I want to reread what Gary just read for us. Um, can you put the question up for me, Brett? No questions today. Yeah. Lots of questions. OK, so uh, who do you identify with in this parable? So one of the things is uh, verses 25 through 28 have become hopefully very familiar to us uh, because we've been talking a lot about it, reflecting a lot on it. Um, but verses 29 through 37, we haven't. Um, but they are passages that we're most familiar with. So I want you to consider who do you identify with in this parable? Uh, just you know, for the characters that are involved, uh, we have the man from Jerusalem to, that was going to Jericho. High probability he was a Jew. Uh, so there's the Jew um, who was beaten. Then there's the priest. There's the Levite. And then there's Samaritans, uh, the Samaritan. There's even the innkeeper, uh, in case you might identify with the innkeeper. I don't know. But consider that. I'm going to read this slowly. And then after I read it, and you've considered for a moment, I would love for you to share with one another what kind of stirred up inside of you, who you connected with, and also that question of why. Why did you connect with that person in this parable? So I'm going to just read uh, verse uh, 29 forward. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the, other, came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? This is verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So now that I've read it, and hopefully there's somebody that stuck out to you that maybe you can identify with, why don't you go ahead and share that with one another? It's okay if you, if you don't. Maybe throughout this morning we'll... Uh, verse 29, I'm on page 844 in the Red Bible, if you wanted to follow along. Um, 
But verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus. So I love, uh, I don't know, whenever I see lawyer, I always look to Gary. I'm sorry, Karen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but, but this specific word in Greek is about as, uh, as lawyerly as you can get. It is literally, it means to render a favorable verdict. So here is this lawyer, this person who uh, knows the law perfectly, I mean as perfectly as one can know the law, right? And is articulate and expressive, and he's hearing all these different things about what Jesus is saying, um, and he's challenging Jesus, and then uh, he says, well, just to make sure I'm really as good as I think I am, is kind of the impression that I get. Uh, but I don't want to project my thoughts on him. But he says, uh, but wanting to, and I'll put this, to render a favorable verdict or vindicate himself, he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So basically, he's trying to say, like, just so I can make sure I'm getting all the, the I's dotted and the T's, and who is my neighbor so I can do this perfectly? We don't know his intentions for asking. Maybe it's because he, Jesus just said to do this and you will live. So maybe it's this, okay, well, if this is how I'm going to have life, how do I do this well? Or maybe it's to trap Jesus again. Click it one more time for me. Thanks. This is the question. So that way you have it as you're processing. Jesus replied, and so we know, so Jerusalem to Jericho. So that's a common journey. Um, but interestingly, this based off of uh, the, what it says in verse 31, now, chance, now by chance a priest was going down that road. So literally it's down because of the sea level, right? So it's altitude to, to sea level, right? Like it's moving down. Um, but maybe it wasn't a well-worn road that they were traveling on. But here is this man. It's very common. It was very dangerous to travel from city to city. Uh, so robbers uh, were kind of creeping behind rocks, waiting to attack people and to steal their goods. This isn't an abnormal thing. It's actually abnormal that somebody would be traveling by themselves for this very reason. Again, this is a parable. So I want to be very clear. This is a fictional story within a factual book. So Jesus is trying to stir things up and provoke thought in their hearts. And so he's provoking thought by saying, here's this Jew who is by himself, and he's stripped and beaten and then left for dead. And very likely just on the, like it, kind of in a ravine on the side of the road kind of deal. Now there's a priest uh, that's involved here. And the priest is, for, for Israel, I mean, he's, he would really be the one that tends to the presence of God. I mean, he is the one that is a professional worshiper. I mean, the equivalent would be uh, me, I guess, vocationally. Uh, obviously a little bit different nowadays. Um, but somebody that takes all of the different sacrifices, does all the different sacrifices, um, is taking the offerings, and professionally, that's what they do. There's some things that say that maybe the priest didn't stop because if they touched a dead body, they would be unclean. But that's kind of projecting on the story, something. But truly, a priest can't touch a, a dead body. They would become unclean, and they would have to go through this entire process. But we know, as recipients of the story, is He's not dead. So I feel like that doesn't really qualify. And then you have a Levite who is the helper to the priest. 
So he's also going to be very intentional about worship. He's going to know the, the commandments of God even better than a lawyer would in many ways. But those two aren't the people that stop. Who are the, who's the guy that stops? Who's the person that stops? And so the interesting thing about this, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, does Jesus reach out to the high priests and to the, the emperors and to all the royalty and the rich people? It's, he likes the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all the people that within society would be in our modern-day equivalent as the person laying down on the side of the road with the hypodermic needle next to them. Those are the people that Jesus is looking after. And certainly he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and clearly here those that know the law. But he's really intentionally focused on those people that are very well acquainted with brokenness, extremely well acquainted with brokenness. Um, for many of us, this passage is familiar. But for those of us that it's not familiar, I want to explain who a Samaritan is. Um, Samaritan would be considered a half-breed. That's literally the, the terminology, or rebel. A half-breed or a rebel. I mean, that's how they're identified. There's, almost, there's really no worse insult than to call a Jew a Samaritan. And how do I know that? Um, does anybody have a red Bible in their hand? That's not Gary. Oh, can you turn to John 8? Verse four. I know I can ask Judy to do this because she's told me, I'll read for you anytime. So I'm putting you on the spot, Judy. John 8, verse 48. This is them talking, some, some religious people talking to Jesus. That's good. Are you not a Samaritan and have a demon? I mean, that's the level that they're equated, Samaritans are acquainted to. to I mean, like, that's, that's a low blow right there. I don't, man. And Jesus just like, no, I just love my father, you know, that kind of response. But when we talk about Samaritans, and I, that's why I want us to understand what Jesus is doing here. Uh, let's, let's go for our personal equivalent. I want you to think of somebody, and we all have them in our minds, in our lives, who is a person that is really difficult for you to just connect with in your life right now, that you just really struggle to even be in their presence. I see all the angry faces. Maybe husband and wives not looking at each other. That's good, yeah. Yeah, that was quick, Ron. That was real quick. Yeah. But, we all, but we all have them. We all have that person, hopefully not people, but the person that we really struggle with, we struggle with them. That's a Samaritan. Uh, another example, uh, modern day example, would be uh, Jews and Palestinians. And the reason why I use that example is and Palestinians to Jews. There's a lot of conflict, right? That's a modern day example of that sort of just ingrained sort of dislike one that we hear about on the news a lot. And so here, Jesus is saying, here's this person that you really are taught to not like. 
You grow up not liking. And I find it really interesting because this parable is on the heels of something that a Jew would recite every day, the Shema, right? And so on the one hand, you have something that directs their heart to God and said, this is what it means to live in a holy and blessed way, to honor God and to be transformed by God. But on the other hand, <laughs> culturally, you hate Samaritans. They're half-breeds. They're rebels. You couldn't even come or draw close to them. So which one are you going to choose? His way or the way of culture? His heart or the heart of culture? It's a really interesting sort of dynamic, isn't it? The reason why, I, I mean, Brett had said, um, or on behalf of Ethel, probably, right? Um, I think we often want to be the Samaritan. Like, if, if we read this story, we're like, yeah, that's me. I would stop. I would do that. Or maybe a little bit, like, easier version. Oh, here's somebody that needs a few dollars. I'll be happy to do that. Or some water. But, but are we really the Samaritan? <laughs> now, this isn't to condemn us. Rather, I think the Samaritan is a Samaritan for a specific reason. The Samaritan is well acquainted with rejection. The Samaritan is well acquainted with brokenness. The Samaritan is well acquainted with hurt and pain. And what does that produce? It can produce hatred and bitterness. Or it can produce what? Empathy, compassion, mercy. It can go either way, I mean, genuinely. I think before that we can kind of unlock the beauty of what Jesus is saying in terms of the heart of the Samaritan, and remember, how many parables does Jesus tell where it's not the Jew that gets it, it's the other? How many times in Scripture is it not the Jew, it's not the chosen person that gets it. It's the prostitute. It's the tax collector. It's the woman living inside the wall. It's the outcast that's a widow. It always seems to be the people, the least likely people, that seem to get God the most. And from that, they, are, they have this deep mercy and love and passion for God. And I really appreciated Janet's vulnerability because I think before we could ever possibly consider ourselves a Samaritan in terms of activity, because that's what we're really talking about, right? It's like what we do. But I think something needs to be transformed in us first, and it's to recognize that before we're ever a Samaritan, we are the person beaten down on the road. I mean, that's really life before Christ. Notice, they're on a road. <laughs> Scripture refers to the enemy as one who robs, steals, kills, destroys. You familiar with that passage? I don't want to over-project my perception of the parable, but the beauty about parables is that you can really draw a lot from the story. But that was something that really spoke to me about this, is before I could ever respond in love towards somebody else, I have to first know that I am loved is that in my brokenness, when I'm on the ground and I can't do anything but just lay there half dead, we've all had those moments in life, right? Maybe you're in that place right now. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, 
the least likely person comes and tends to your wounds, to your pain, to your grief, to your sorrow, to your brokenness. And I really appreciated, again, Janet, what you said about somebody that will go the distance. Because that's what this man did. Out of mercy, not only did he take a probably a, a road that wasn't traveled very frequently, the Samaritan was by himself. He was under the same dangers as this Jew. He could have, I mean, think about it. He's putting this broken man on his animal. Uh, wouldn't that make him more susceptible to attack? Wouldn't it be more dangerous? Wouldn't he have to move slower? But in complete disregard for self, he goes on this journey with this person. And something that even as Gary was reading today that I never really picked up on, I always kind of assumed like he took the Samaritan and he dropped him off and he gave him a day, two days wages. But what does it say that he does? He stays with the broken man first and tends to the needs of the man overnight. I mean, that kind of love and mercy can only come from a place where somebody has shown you love and mercy in your brokenness. So that's what we see in this person of Christ is that he's, Jesus is saying, hey, you broken people on the side of the road, I'm here to extend you mercy. But what is mercy? I mean, how do you define mercy? What's mercy to you? I'm not talking about action. Like if, if you were going to define mercy, what would mercy be? Because this is really important. Because <laughs> he's saying, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That's kind of the crux of this in terms of action. What is mercy to you? Okay, unconditional kindness. I like that. Accepting someone for who they are. Okay. Any other definition? Definition that I have often used in my life with mercy is not receiving the consequence or penalty or punishment that I deserve. Grace is receiving blessings that I don't deserve in profound ways. I mean, God is a, is a God who is merciful. And he says, yeah, you deserve that, but I'm not going to give it to you. I mean, today is the, uh, in our church calendar is the Holy Trinity, and we see this beautiful dance between Father, Son, and Spirit. And one of the things that Jesus does is he's constantly compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit, only doing what the Father says he should do, is he shows people mercy. Hey, by, according to the law, you deserve this. You deserve this punishment. You deserve this brokenness. You deserve this broken relationship. But mercy. But grace. And that's really what I see with the Samaritan, is the one that demonstrates the heart of the Father most clearly is he shows mercy. He stops. That's just a merciful act in and of itself, isn't it? To stop. But then at personal risk and cost to him, I mean, we don't know how rich the Samaritan was. But he, what does he do? He tends to the wound with his own possessions, with the wine, with the oil. 
how did, I mean, I don't imagine the Samaritan is like a medic who just has bandages. Chances are he would have had to create the bandages. Again, fictional story, but these are the things that should start provoking our thought when we talk about receiving mercy and extending mercy in our lives. Not to mention that, I mean, literally the, the equivalent, think of whatever you would make in a day. He put down two days' worth to make sure that this man was cared for and intended to. And then what did he say? When I come back. So it's not just like what I'm often guilty of. So self-deprecation here, okay? But I imagine you can identify with this. We see somebody that's in need, that's in a place of brokenness. And we have this immediate response generally, which is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, right? Like, oh, I'm so sorry. And we feel that way for like a day or two or three or four or five, and then life. And now, I want to be clear about this. This is not to make me guilty, and it's not to make you guilty, but it's just to show the power of this parable for me, is that this Samaritan wasn't thinking life. Now this man became part of his life. He's already thinking, okay, I'm going to be going somewhere, but when I come back, and I check on it. Another way for saying that is long-suffering. Any long sufferers in here? <laughs> we, we love to do that. We love to suffer, don't we? Full stop. I, I think I, I was at a meeting one time, and uh, we were in a small group. It was one, two, three, four, four people. And just completely different walks of life. I mean, you have a pastor. It almost sounds like a joke, right? Uh, you have a pastor, you have a Fortune 500 CEO, you have uh, this CFO, and then uh, a professor at a major university. Uh, clearly, I was sitting there like, who, how do I get to sit here, right? But we're sharing our life stories. And one of the guys that I was talking to, he was telling me the story about how he was a younger kid and his dad brought him, bought him a new bike and they put it together and he painted it together with his dad, this like bright cherry red. And he was so proud of that bike. And it was like, the, you know, the ones with the big R in the long, the banana seat, right? And he had the like the flowing tassels on it and everything. And he's riding around with his friend and suddenly there's this guy uh, with his shirt off um, who's following them. And as they're going along, the guy keeps on following them. And um, his friend got scared, so his friend peeled out. So he's by himself, and this young kid is thinking, oh, he's going to steal my bike. And then all of a sudden, he feels what feels like a, like a bee sting on his neck. And so he speeds up, and eventually the guy goes away. I guess they get into like more public place. Another guy stops, and he's like, hey, stop. And of course, he's scared, so he doesn't stop. Keeps going, and the guy's ch like going in his car, chasing him down. Stop, you're bleeding. What do you mean I'm bleeding? And then he looks down, and his shirt is completely covered in blood. 
Turns out that guy in the car shot him. The thing that was striking to me about this story was, I guess it was kind of like just, not even inches, we're talking millimeters away from a main vein, whatever that one is. Anybody know that? I mean, just so close and his life would have been over. Just like that. So he was talking about how that moment in his life has impacted the rest of his life. Because he's like, I'm on borrowed time is what I feel like. I feel like I'm on borrowed time. Everything on paper said I probably should have died that day, but I didn't. And now he's in his early 60s. He was in his, I think he was 11 or 12 at the time. And he said that has influenced every single decision I've made, every risk I've taken, every thought I've had. And I, I can't help but think of that story when I think of this man that was beaten and left for half dead. How different would his life have been as a result of this? How would he have looked at Samaritans? I mean, he's beaten on the side of the road and stuff, and he's probably all out of whack. But when the Samaritan comes back, we don't know how long the journey would have been. How would have he responded to the Samaritan? How would that have changed his life? That's what mercy does. It doesn't just change our life. It changes the lives of those that we cross paths with, that our lives are woven with. But I think the first kind of the crux of mercy is that do we need mercy in our life? If you don't think that you need mercy, then this is kind of like, oh, this is a good story. But if you recognize that you need mercy and that in many ways you feel like you're the outcast, or the half-breed, or the rebel. And here is this God that meets you exactly where you are and says, I love you, and I know every single thing about you. Everything you've done, everything you're thinking, everything you will do, and I love you. That's, that's radical mercy, isn't it? Shouldn't that compel us into something, into response? That's what Jesus is teaching here. Go and do likewise. I love how, again, Jesus changes this question of vindication, right? Because we want to be vindicated before God. And he says, how do you love your neighbor well? And it goes back to that loving of yourself that we talked about last week, is knowing who you are in Christ. If you know who you are in Christ, then it stands within reason that you will love people out of that identity. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you probably will struggle to love well. Doesn't mean you can't love, absolutely. But long suffer? I don't know. It's not very easy to long suffer without Jesus. Let's just be, there's so many examples in, in our lives today of that, I think. So I would like maybe for you to, in the coming days and weeks, Consider, I mean, many of you have been a follower of Jesus and his ways and words for many years of your life. So maybe you've kind of lost touch with what life has looked like before that tangible mercy in your life. So maybe you need to reconnect with that a little bit. What does mercy look like in my life in the past? What does it look like today? And what does that compel me into? The lawyer, like a... a at least in this scenario, I love that he doesn't say the Samaritan. He says the one. You can just almost see the hair on his neck kind of bristling, like, oh, Jesus, you got me, you know?
but he knows. And this is the type of mercy that God calls us into because he shows us this mercy. Am, am, am I saying mercy enough? <laughs> am I saying grace enough? But consider for a moment who you are in the story. Yes, there's the priest. Yes, there's the Levite. Yes, there is absolutely the innkeeper, and they are all part of the story. But I think we're first, and this is the crazy part, the Jew was the neighbor in the story, not the Samaritan. The Jew was the neighbor. And the Samaritan had such a deep understanding of compassion and love that he loved his neighbor so well at such an expense. How many of us have thought the Jew is the neighbor in the story? I've never even considered who's the neighbor in the story. That a Samaritan would carry, care for a Jew in such a compelling way. I would love to think, okay, so I made you think of somebody that you're struggling with, right? I would love to think that God's mercy is so powerful that that person is so transformed that you become their neighbor and they love you in such a tangible way. I'm going to say that again. I personally believe in the power of mercy so much that this person that I'm struggling with in my life or the person that you're struggling with in your life, so over here, like I want to, that God's mercy is so transformative, that God's grace is so transformative, that this person that you're experiencing brokenness and pain with and sorrow with and grief with, that you want to keep at arm's length because they've hurt you, that they will be so transformed that that will compel them to love you like a Samaritan loved a Jew. Isn't that crazy? That's what mercy and grace does. That's what we stake our lives on, by the way, is this radical, compelling mercy and grace that we receive personally, but that we also get the gift of giving to people in their most broken places. It will challenge us. It will make us run away a lot of times. I mean, can you imagine tangibly loving that person that you're struggling with right now? Washing their feet, tending to their wounds, or pushing them off a cliff, <laughs> right? That's what God does, is that he, Jesus is not safe, but he's super safe. Jesus isn't safe because he's going to constantly challenge us into the fullness of love. But he's safe because as we're falling, he catches us. And that's what I see in this verse. I don't think that he's telling this lawyer to go and do likewise by himself. I think he's saying go and do likewise as a community of people. That's what you see as he teaches his disciples. So have I challenged all of us enough this morning? <laughs> A lot of challenge. I just want to say that what Jesus is teaching here is what he sees from his father. The lawyer is looking for vindication, but in Christ we are vindicated. We're already made right. And the more that we hold on to that as truth, I think the less we push away God, the more accessible God becomes. Maybe you can't pray, for example, Abba, Father, right now because it's too personal and you want to keep God at a distance. 
But that's the invitation that vindication gives us. I could say more, but I'll save it for the next week. Well, two weeks. Pastor Joe will be with us, which I'm looking forward to. Let me, uh, let me pray for our hearts this morning. Uh, God, maybe I feel like I'm challenging all of us because I feel super challenged in this verse. Because I think as, um, like the lawyer, sometimes I want to know how I can be vindicated before you, how I can do the right things, how I can do the things well. And what you're saying is just, what does it look like to love as I love? God, when we identify ourselves first as the beaten down neighbor of the Samaritan, as the one who is in desperate need of you, truly we cannot do anything apart from you. I think that that can change everything in our life. And I pray that for all of us. I pray we are on a a road that is well-worn throughout the centuries, but maybe it feels very lonely because the people in our lives, um, the people that, that we know, um, maybe they don't follow you. And so it feels like a very lonely road. But we have centuries of people that have followed your ways and your words that can show us an example of what it means to love well. But first and foremost, we can look to you, Jesus. So I pray this morning that we can look to you, Jesus, um, for healing that our wounds can be bound up by you. Um, that you, that we would know that you're present with us in whatever we're going through, whether it's grief or a great joy, because um, we have much to be thankful and joyful for. And I think of also on this day as, as Father's Day, um, is that this can be a really beautiful day for many of us, and it can also be a very difficult one. Uh, But God, I want to proclaim over all of us is that you are not an absent father, uh, that you are a perfect, loving father. And just as Jesus showed us uh, in his perfect communion with you, that we can hear your whispers of love and we can trust in your guidance and that we can uh, nestle into your embrace. And so I pray for that for all of us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.